You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. So what is your status? What are your defining characteristics? What are the overriding qualities about yourself that uh, you have internalized, right? The characters by which uh, you believe the world sees you because it's how you see yourself. It's the filter by which you discern almost everything, every sermon, every lesson, every joke, every comment. It's a filter you look through because it's something that defines you. It's the language by which we understand things, sometimes through our defining characteristics. And the truth be told, if you asked yourself what's your status or what defines you, I think most of us would go to the one thing that we don't like about ourselves, right? The thing that we would most like to change, perhaps. You know, and yet perhaps that's the very thing that drew you to God and helped you to become a Christian, But after you become a Christian, right, Donnie didn't just walk off the stage after the first four minutes of her testimony. (laughs) Really, that's sometimes where the testimony begins about what God starts doing. And so that defining characteristic or status sometimes in the kingdom under God's hand can begin to be the thing that maybe causes you to lose hope in God if he didn't change it or cure it or help you overcome it. We're tempted to lose our patience sometimes. And, of course, sometimes it changes over the years. Sometimes we do overcome these things. And then sort of another set of circumstances becomes the filter by which we're now evaluating life through. For me, growing up, I was the small kid. I wasn't the smelly kid, thank goodness. But I was the small kid. I'll focus in on where I was at. I'm right behind the sign that says the class. If you can see, the two shortest girls in the class are a good three inches taller than me. And I don't know if Napoleon Dynamite and his brother Kip there on the front row were shorter. I I think they just ran out of space and they got to be there. That's fourth grade. That's fifth grade. Same spot. (laughs) I sort of became known as the guy that got to hold the card, right? (laughs) The only time I got to sit in the back was in fifth grade football, and that's because they put all the heavy kids on the ground and put the little kids up on the back there. That looks like a menace, right? I was hoping to be the first Wes Welker before there was a Wes Welker, but that didn't, uh, that didn't turn out for me. But you know, it is how I perceived myself growing up. It was the thing that defined me. I was the small kid. It was the filter that I looked through life. And to me, of course, there were two kinds of people in the entire world. Happy people, which were tall, and short people. (laughs) Right? Everybody who was tall, why wouldn't you be happy? You're tall. (laughs) You know, we never list our gifts and talents as our defining characteristics, right? (laughs) Typically, we... Use the things that we want to change about ourselves. And we do perceive that the rest of the world that doesn't have that must be happy. Maybe we struggle with our weight. And so we see the world as happy thin people and the rest of us. 
Maybe it's your race. Maybe you grew up, if you notice, there was not a lot of racial diversity in Fort Collins, Colorado when I grew up. <laughs> I'm sure there were kids that grew up there thinking, wait, why am I the only black kid in this class? And that would have been their defining characteristic growing up as a child. Maybe you have a a Latino or Mexican heritage and you see the world different. Maybe you were adopted and that has become a defining characteristic for you. And you really see people with families that are all happy and people who struggle with their identity through adoption. Maybe it is your health. Maybe it's a chronic illness. And you think, really, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are healthy people and there are people that struggle with chronic illness. Or maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's job or lack of job, right? There are happy employed people, and then there are people looking for jobs. Maybe it's a struggle with sin that has become the definition by which you see yourself, whether it's purity or pornography or other addictive sins, chemical, uh, behavioral, eating disorders. Maybe it is a relationship status. I mean, the church does have a teen ministry, They have a campus ministry, they have family ministries, married ministries, empty nester ministry. And this ministry is defined by your relationship status. Singles ministry. And so, you know, I mean, we've sort of tried to cover over that through edge and impact and young pros. And you know what I mean? Let's just change the vernacular so that we don't define ourselves by our status. But that doesn't always work, right? Amanda Porter says EDGE stands for everyone's dating and getting engaged. (laughs) And I'm not saying that's the filter by which she looks through life. It's just I thought it was pretty clever. (laughs) You know, what happens is then we have confirmation bias. And this is a tendency of people to favor information that confirms their beliefs or hypothesis. They display a bias when they gather or remember information selectively or whether they interpret it in a biased way. And the effect is stronger for emotionally charged issues, all right, and deeply entrenched beliefs. People also tend to interpret ambiguous information as supporting their existing position. And then belief perseverance is another phenomenon. When beliefs persist after evidence shown uh, to the contrary is false. You know, and this, obviously, whatever it is, it can be a source of bitterness, sadness, even hopelessness in our relationship with God. And you assume everybody sees you through that lens as well, don't we, sometimes? And I think what we do, sometimes we minimize the hurts and the situations that all of us are in. Because each one of us has our own issues and our own struggles. We all have our strengths. We all have our ingrained weaknesses. And the Bible says, you know, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. You know, joy is awesome. Victories are amazing. Overcoming and building your character and what God is doing in your life. Sometimes you're excited about what God's doing and nobody else like, yeah, amen, bro. That's great. You know, good for you. You know, nobody else can share that joy. But I tell you, nobody else knows each and every one of our story and bitterness to the extent that you do, right? At the end of the day, if we're really honest, I think sometimes we assume 
There's one person at the center of it all. The one person who could change it. The one person who could reverse it and do the miracle. And that's God. You know, Paul knew that struggle. Most people assume Paul was single. However, uh, he had a position in the Sanhedrin, and most scholars believe you had to be married to have that position. Uh, so there's, they're, they're mixed. To be honest, the Bible doesn't really say for sure. But it wasn't so much being uh, his relationship status, but he did have a struggle. And in 2 Corinthians 12, if you want to log on to your iBible, put in the 2 Corinthians cartridge and load that up. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, we don't really know what it is. Uh, a lot of people assume eyesight. Paul's letter to the Galatians said he came to them through an illness and that uh, he knows that they would have plucked out their eyes and given them to him. He wrote with large letters, maybe because he was his eyesight was poor. Um, but it could be that, you know, the floggings he endured left him disfigured and sick uh, chronically. Um, some speculate that it was actually the guilt from his past life of, uh, having Christians arrested, thrown in prison, some even killed, giving approval over Stephen's death. Some people believe that he could never forgive himself and overcome that guilt. And that guilt is the thing that he wanted God to take away. Uh, we just don't know. We only know... I'm kind of stuck here now. That there was a reason for it. The thorn in his flesh... He understood there was a reason for it. It does appear to be a physical issue because he says it was a thorn in my flesh. All right. But he also saw there was a greater battle and that there was a spiritual issue as well. He said through that suffering, Satan was right there using that issue to torment him. And God wasn't going to take it away. He had begged and he had pleaded with God because he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't necessarily surrendered about it right away. And so he pleaded with God to take it away and God said no. The other thing we know from that passage is that God was using that to teach Paul. And he was using that to teach Paul something deep, something Paul would not have known without that thorn in his flesh. And it centered around Paul's lesson was God and his grace. So the reason why I think we don't know what it is is because it's not essential to the story. We know he hated it. We know he saw Satan in it. But he learned to to delight in it because he saw it used for God's promises. And he saw it as an avenue to draw strength from God. And he saw it as a, as a buffer for his pride, which was one of his struggles. And, I, you know, I have a theory about the scriptures. That if you know anything about somebody in the Bible, it is purposeful that you know it. And if you don't know it about them, then it is trivial and not part of the story. 
Meaning if you know something about them, their height, their weight, their age, their gender, uh, their fertility status, it is a way that God is using their life and God is being glorified in their life or that it's an issue that they have to overcome or Satan will take them out. So nothing is trivial in the scriptures. All right, I mean, let's go. I'm not going to go through everybody in the Bible, but Abraham and Sarah. The only thing we know about them physically is their age. And we know that why? Because they had a child when he was 100 and she was 90. God also tells you that he was 99 when he was circumcised. Why is that important information? The guys know why that's important information. That's a painful outpatient procedure to be done at 99 without anesthetic. All right. I mean, that is important to the story, apparently. (laughs) We know Jacob was a good cook, loved to hang out with his mom and that he was deceitful and all that he used to gain the birthright. And God's providence worked through the lineage of Jacob, whom God changed his name to Israel. There's a reason we knew that about him. Hannah was barren and cried out to God and promised, if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you, God, to serve you. And Samuel was born to preside over the first two kings of Israel as a prophet. Naaman was a great man. He was a valiant soldier. He was a commander. And what else do we know about his physical condition? He had leprosy. You know, his weakness led him to a prophet of God, but his greatness almost allowed him to miss the healing that God had intended. All those things are important about him. Esther was beautiful. She was a knockout. That can be a blessing or a curse. In this case, she was taken into the harem of King Xerxes that he might have sex with her. And she received 12 months of beauty treatments before she slept with Xerxes. And then he chose her as his wife. And then Xerxes, and and through Esther, Esther was able to uh, reverse a decree and allow the Jews to defend themselves on the day of Purim. And, and, And there's a great story there in the book of Esther. King Saul was a head taller than all the other Israelites. He was a physically imposing person. How'd that work out for Saul? That led to his pride and his downfall and his self-reliance. Naomi, we know she was married and had two sons. And that's important to the story because God took them all away. Her husband and two sons died and she changed her name to Bitter. Mara. David was ruddy and handsome. And that got him into trouble too, didn't it? Solomon was incredibly wise. What was his relationship status? He was married 700 times and 300 concubines. Do the math. Well, don't don't do the math, brothers. (laughs) John the Baptist, we know only his diet and his clothes. But that was essential because he had taken the vow of the Nazarite. Mary Magdalene had been healed of seven demons. That's what we know about her. Zacchaeus was a rich man. And he was also short. 
He had Schwartznan's disease. And yet that drew him to God. And he repented of his greed. Whereas the other rich young man, we don't even know his name. Because he wouldn't give up. His defining characteristic, the thing that defined him, is that he was rich. I mean, name someone in the Bible and name anything you know about them, and I guarantee it has something to do with how God was going to be glorified through their life or how Satan would take them out. What about Jesus? We know he wasn't married. We know his lineage. And we know his birthplace. Because those are all relevant to the story of Christ. And we do know something about his physical appearance. In Isaiah 53, 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Because what defined Jesus? What defined him? What do you guys think? Somebody stand up and say Jesus' defining characteristic in your mind. Love. What else? Compassion. Forgiveness, truth, grace, zeal, sacrifice, son of God, zeal, wisdom, humility. You realize those are the defining characteristics of Christ. What about us? Think of what we were when we were called. Not many of us were wise by human standard. You know, that does assume that some of you are. Just not many is what Paul says. <laughs> not many were intellectual. Not many were of noble birth. But again, that means some of you are. Some of you are kings and princesses, possibly, or of royal lineage. Why? Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not to shame, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What is your status? What is your defining characteristic? <laughs> what would you most like to change, perhaps? You know, this can be a source of strength, humility. It can be an area of surrender that draws us closer to God. Because for whatever reason, it's something that God has instilled and created within you. And it's something that he is allowing for a purpose greater than we see at the time. You know, if we struggle with our weight and we got a boiler to take off, maybe it's because God wants us to convert our trainer at the gym, right? You know, if we struggle with a chronic illness, maybe God is putting you in contact with a community of medical professionals that need God. You know, after a few years of marriage, Sean and I began to try to have a family. And uh, after about a year and a half, we began to just go to the doctor and try to figure out what was going on. And, and we soon learned that we were basically not going to have a family. We were told the chances are very slim. There's some medical procedures. I don't even know that those are going to work for you guys. That was pretty devastating news. Uh, it's a very lonely journey, infertility. It's a very embarrassing thing because you are going to doctor's offices and being probed and poked, and it's just not fun for men or for women. But for a couple, it's not fun at all. As many as, you know, one in seven couples 
are going to face that in their life in their 20s and 30s if they're married. It gets, goes up to about one in four the later on you go in life. Infertility is huge. And this community is in our fellowship. But again, if it's not your defining struggle, you, you just may not even know it exists in people's lives. But it was a challenging journey. And, you know, of course, the fellowship, as I know Donnie was very gracious in the way she said, I have this community of friends. But, you know, sometimes the church is not an easy place to go through something devastating. And, it, and it's not because of anybody's bad heart, but it's just, hey, when are you guys going to have a family, man? You know, or, oh, you're lucky, man. We need a night out. Why don't you come babysit our kids, you know? And they they don't know, you know. <laughs> Uh, hold on, I'm praying for your forgiveness. All right, yeah, when do you want us to come over? You know, it's, um, you know, but through that, God God blessed us in many ways. And obviously, if you know us, we have three kids and we had them all, you know. I mean, well, we had one through IVF, two, like your grandparents had children, all right? But uh, so God was very gracious to us in that. But we've been able to really minister to other couples that have gone through that. And I think that's really why God took us down that journey in the first place. We did a class in San Diego uh, at the uh, Southwest Conference, I think, a few years ago. And we advertised it as faith to start a family. And we really felt like there's a need in the Southwest family of churches to deal and minister with couples that are facing infertility and what that does to your walk with God. It's very challenging. Uh, but you know how sometimes conferences don't advertise the classes quite correctly, right? So we just had a room full of people. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So some of them knew why they were there. Others just looked on the program and said, hey, we're about ready to start a family. And as I described, I said, just so you guys know, the reason for this class is for couples facing infertility. And if you want to leave now, go ahead. And probably about half the class got up and left and went and found another class. And I remember sharing with those who stayed that I know if you're here now, you probably wish you could have laughed and just kind of gone to another class. But now that you know why you're here and we know why you're here, let's just talk. And there were couples that just wept through the whole class, and we're trying to teach and trying to share about our journey. Uh, but this is a community that God put us in touch with only because God put us through that journey. And I think of the defining characteristics in your life, they're there for a reason, not just for God to be glorified in your life and for you to see God's glory, but so that you can minister and comfort others with the comfort you receive from our God. And, you know, the thing I shared with those couples is that longing for something is not a sinful feeling. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and said, how I've longed to gather you. I mean, since God created man, he has longed for them and they have rejected him. And so that longing and that hope deferred is something that God feels very, very deeply. And longing is not a sin. I realize there are some of you who, who do long. 
to be married. Some of you have gone through incredible hurt, heartbreak, and sadness in this arena. And I realize that. And I, I realize I'm not the person to minister to you in that arena. But there is people in this fellowship and there is a ministry here that understands that maybe that is the filter you're looking through life in. And we need to minister to one another and really find our strength in God. Amen? Because I think the danger comes when ending singleness becomes your primary objective. And I'm seeing that more and more often. I'm I'm seeing amazing women of God settling for men who are not their spiritual equal. And I'm not even talking about men with potential. All right? I mean, I was a six-month-old Christian with, you know, snot-nosed and prideful and arrogant. And and somehow, Sean had, you know, stooped down to make me great, you know? <laughs> and those who know us as a couple, you might... The, the, it's always like, Sean is awesome. Um, Marshall, there's... I mean, there, he's, he's, a, he's a good brother, but there are some things that you need to know, you know. They don't spend much time on her and her characteristics. So, brothers, I am telling you, swing for the fences, all right? Increase your spiritual trajectory. I'm not trying to discourage them. <laughs> but I do want to talk to sisters who... I'm looking about brothers who are independent. They have a tough time singing and worshiping and connecting in that. Who are financially irresponsible. I've seen women paying for their weddings, paying for their apartments, moving guys into their homes that they own. And these are not worldly women. These are radiant single women who are tired of looking through the filter of being single for the rest of their life. You know, the Bible does say under three things the earth trembles. One of those being an unloved woman who is married. And I I do want to tell you, sisters, that, that the measure of a brother is their love for God. It just is. It's their love for God. It's their love for His kingdom. And it is their love for the other brothers in this fellowship. My wife loves when I am discipled by another man. She loves when I am under the authority of another man. She asks me about my D times all the time, to the point of annoyance. Like, why do you want me to be discipled so much? (laughs) Why do you want to make sure he's working on me? Because I think when I am close with men and when I am discipled and when I am under the authority of another brother in my life, she feels the freedom to submit to my authority. And she sees that the spiritual ceiling of our family has now been raised a little bit. (laughs) So I encourage you to love someone who loves and walks with God. Amen? And, you know, brothers, I don't know what sometimes you're looking at. I mean, there are times when I am in the fellowship and all I see is radiance. And I know... There's issues, whatever. I know the sisters have their, their stuff. I'm not going to reinforce the stereotype that all the men in this church are Homer Simpsons and all the women are, you know, Jesus Christ in female form. That's, that's been 
preached as much because there are some amazing brothers who love God in this fellowship. Amen. But there are times in the fellowship where I just think this sister is radiant. She goes on mission trips. She helps the poor. She has a great job. She's leading X amount of people. She's leading a Bible talk. She's discipling the brothers in her Bible talk. She leads a family group. She's an evangelist. She is discipling people. She is radiant. And I, it's like Leviticus, you know. I just sometimes they got to just strap on a sword and just go hacking through the fellowship. I want to go on a punching spree sometimes in the fellowship and like, brothers, radiant right here. And I think, honestly, because my wife and I are coming up on 20 years of marriage, I know what it is to be married to a godly woman. And brothers, I know what will make you happy. And that's why I'm like, I hope they see what I see in this church. Amen? Again, if I stereotyped and just set the singles ministry back a decade, I'm sorry, but these things are on my heart. God created you. Amen? And God did make you beautiful. All of your strengths, all of your weaknesses, everything that you would change about yourself are the things that God is saying, no, 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 that is the center of my will for you. Those are the things I'm going to use to not only glorify myself in your life, but to be glorified as you minister to others. Amen? Last story. Uh, my daughter has the mead, you know, late bloomer gene. I don't know how I became six feet tall. That is kind of a miracle in of itself. So... I'm still a short person inside. That's why I'm sarcastic and I cut people down and I hurt people's feelings because I was ingrained with these techniques as a short kid trying to make my build myself up. But Katie is small and she was really discouraged at one point. I think it was after a doctor's visit that, uh, They kind of measured her body type at about four years less than her age. And I kind of, you know, I know her pain. I'm the guy that held the the class syllabus or card or whatever that thing is called. And I was trying to get her to see that, you know what, God is powerful. and, And there's something that everybody would change. And so you can't just be fixated on the thing that defines you. You can't let that define you. And I said, what about one of your friends, Amber? who just has extreme medical challenges. Um, And she said, you know, I said, what do you think she would want to change? She said she'd probably want to be healthy. She has another dear friend whose father took his life. And I said, what do you think she would want to change? And she said she probably wishes she had her dad. She probably wishes she had a relationship with him. And another brother in our fellowship has a... uh, a daughter with special needs. She's autistic. And I said, what do you think, what do you think that she wishes she could change about herself? And Katie said, and this is just honestly what came out of her mouth, I'm not really sure because she seems happy all the time. And I, that statement just blew me away. And I know she's, you know, the, Mike does such amazing work. And, and just, you know, those of you who have children with special needs, that is your world. I know that. 
And it's not happy all the time. I realize that. But that was Katie's perception is that this little girl is in a world where she does perceive life as happy. And I thought, you know, I wish we could all say that about ourselves, that what is the one thing we would change? And it would be nothing. Because whatever I am is who God has created me to be, and God will be glorified in that. I'm going to invite uh, Brandon and Michelle up to na- right now, and we are going to, uh, in the, the music ministry, we're going to close in one of my favorite songs by uh, the band Gungor, Beautiful Things. And then we're going to be closed out and given some final direction. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.